Hey guys, um, so this is the moment. Um, I've thought of my journey the last two years or so. I thought of the parable with John the Baptist. Think of me as John the Baptist. I have um, stood in front of you and, and I have proclaimed another, another with with powers, powers of it, uh, of insight that can explain these recurring disturbances in the force. And and here we are, and I am super excited to reveal that we have we have Jesus. Jesus has descended. Um, we have Jeff Snyder, um, Jeff, and of course at the beginning with the the incredible Emil Kaliowski, the instigators of a remarkable institution, the Eurodollar University. And I have to say before we get going, um, I feel. Like the Eurodollar University changed my life. My only regret is that I wasn't aware of it when I was, I was going to say professional. Was I ever professional? But when I was a macro hedge fund manager, I have to say I wasn't fully aware of the repercussions of this other and very much very large part of the universe. It was hidden to me um and if only i i had known but we're not here to listen to me i'm just john the baptist jesus how are you <laughs> Jeff? Hi. hi hugh thanks for the intro i'm not i'm not sure how i could possibly live up to that so we might just want to just shut it down here and just end it in, in no but that, thank you very much for that and it's you know, it's it's amazing because I think that's true of a lot of people in financial services, myself included. That's the way I started out, too. They don't tell you about money. They don't talk about, you know, everything's just the Fed, the Fed, the Fed. And this, the monetary system itself is designed to be hidden. It's designed so that you don't ask questions. You don't go looking for it. So in my experience, it's not a big surprise that people, what's a euro dollar? They have no idea. And even people who have been successful in the industry and have been successful a very long time you know it's just it's designed so that you don't notice that it's there and when it's working you shouldn't really notice that it's there but over the last 15 years since it's not working we start asking the right questions mm -hmm. jeff i'm gonna ask the wrong question um what the what happens take us on um the your own personal um Voyage because um, you didn't always look like this. I mean, I'm the same. And if you if you bring up on if you, if you God forbid you look at images, especially Getty images, um, you'll see a very strange picture of pictures of of me. I I, I think I look ten years older than I am. I am even today, ten years later. But Jeff, you you've gone through the same metamorphosis, and I say Jesus. Jokingly, but, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing you're even wearing sandals. I mean, you've really gone Jesus <laughs> mode. What, what happened? I do have pants on, yes. <laughs> but no, yeah, I, for me, it's, you know, yeah, you're right. When you look at some of the old videos and interviews, uh, shorter hair, no facial hair, all that stuff. Uh, yeah, it wasn't necessarily the COVID as it was, you know, starting to transform, you know, my career changed from managing money, doing the retail stuff, going through all that stuff. And now it's more about, you know, research and teaching people. So maybe there's sort of that personality involved in it too. 
plus the COVID, the pandemic. I don't really get out as much as I used to, so I'm a bit of a hermit. Um, but here, it's it's really about communicating, and I think that's one of the things I really love working with Emil. Was he really helped say, you know, it's it's great that you have all this stuff, but if you're the only one who can understand it, or if you're the only, if you can't tell anybody about it, what good is it? So it's really, it's a personal journey about, you know, we did the Euro dollar research, got, I think, you know, a pretty good idea of what's going on in the system, but now it's about communicating and telling people and teaching and saying, this is, this is what you really should know about how the monetary system works and how important it is to pretty much everything that we're, we're looking at and what we're going around, what we're, what we're really dealing with and everything else. So I'm not sure how much of this is just age too. <laughs> you start losing your hair. It's like, Dad, do I want to just shave it off or just grow it longer? So I figured I'd grow it a little bit longer, see what happens. Longer, longer. Um, and and I, I feel like we have this intimacy because um, you're almost publishing now daily. Um, and I put you in a plastic bag and I take you into the shower with me. <laughs> but anyway, That's a you, tremendous compliment. And, and, I, and I would say um, that were I to be running a hedge fund and – um, were I to be interviewing graduates and younger folk, um, a prerequisite actually would be that the the manifestation of their enthusiasm and indeed their ability to to, to work with me would be um, more than a working knowledge of the archive of the university. I'd, I'd recommend it to, to everyone. Um, there there are parts of the archive actually, and I'm going to touch upon it later. I'm going to ask you questions because I can't. I can't find it in in the index, um, but um, we'll have you perhaps kind of expound upon some of the features. But anyway, without further ado, and I must profess, in no particular order, in an asset capitalist kind of order, um, I think I'm going to start where we are today. And of course, the the onus is on both of us. Um, the legacy is this is a complex. Area money, like you said, is is best almost forgotten because it should just be purring away and working. Sadly, that is not the life um, of the present generation. Um, and we're going to try and I think both of us, <laughs> and I mean I am the worst communicator, but let's see what we get on. But um, um, Stan, Stan Druckenmiller is causing me profound consternation because last week he presented uh, to the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund and he has expressed that he doesn't have much risk position on today, but his principal risk position is the dollar and it would be a short position in the dollar. Now, whatever, but it does happen to be stand. For me, currency is a little bit like gold in terms of again where I in that professional money management and um, it wouldn't be a necessarily a necessary call on my risk capital yeah I did a sur- survey I did that uh, you know questions on Twitter the other week asking people you know how do you value gold and the answer is gold is really like art and it's the price what the price prevails with regard to what what people feel comfortable with it's it's not it's not quantitative; it's more qualitative. And I feel currencies are a little bit like that. You know, what is the dollar worth? You know, we, I mean, we end up. It would seem the most reliable indicator is you know the the McDonald's burger index and the relative cost um, across uh, national supply chains. Um, but one of the factors 
uh, cited by Stan. And here we are, we're recording this on, on Monday, uh, one of the final days in April. And um, again, we've, we've laid to rest another US banking institution. In fact, we're the first, maybe what I'm saying. Um, um, and the reaction from the market is, um, at last glance, equities were pushing higher. The 30-year was getting slammed. Um, okay. And, and to Stan's point, he one of his reasonings was that since the first bank to go down uh, Silicon Valley, he estimates that the, the, the Federal Reserve has been printing money, that it's, it's, by, it's undone the contraction um, with regard to its, its intervention. Now, there's so many avenues we can go. I mean, I, I am, you know, to, to quote you, the, 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 the latency of banking reserves, um, you know, they, 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 they seem to be more of a metaphor which describes a desire on the part of the Federal Reserve to be all things omnipotent. Um, but with regard to, to this point, how do, how do you answer that? Well, I think you know, there's a couple things there. Number one is the Fed's intention is to get people thinking that exactly what you just stated. If I increase my balance sheet by a couple trillion or even just a couple hundred billion, whatever it is, if you and I believe the Fed has printed money and then we act as if the Fed has printed money, then effectively, even though the Fed hasn't printed money, the results are as if it did. So if, by the, if you're comforted by the fact that the Fed's balance sheet has expanded and you're willing to take on additional risks, additional financial capacities in response to that, then the Fed's happy, even though the Fed has only done an accounting fiction where it's created more of its own uh, liabilities than anything else. They're not useful in any real meaningful sense. But if the Fed can get you to believe that it is doing something positive and then you act on that belief, suddenly it, that's that's it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think in a lot of cases in the short run, there's numerous episodes that you can point to and say, yes, there does seem to be some at least financial effect, real economy effect. That's a different story. But in particular with the stock market and certain parts of the financial system, you can detect the sentimental impact or sentimental effect over the short run. People will, will rearrange their portfolios or rearrange their way of thinking because they still believe the Fed has done something positive. They think the, the Fed has supported the market. They're on the phone with all of their customers saying, we can do this now because the Jay Powell's got our back. But then usually over time, it all falls apart because in the real economy, in any real sense, there really isn't anything outside of that sentiment, sentimental impact. So there's no really, there's no second and third order effect from that sentimental uh, issue. And that's really where, where everything comes apart. Now, as far as the U.S. dollar exchange value, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into that, including interest rate differentials and forward interest rate differentials. But over the long run, what will eventually prevail isn't the Fed. It isn't the Fed's interest rate policy. It's not bank reserves. It's the fundamentals in the euro dollar system. So if the fundamentals in the euro dollar system are negative in the respect of there's tightening in the marketplace or there's tightening in the monetary system, we'd expect that the dollar would go higher over time. Short run, it's who who knows what happens in the short run. Yeah, indeed. So again, I, I I accept that the Fed is all about the creation of an accepted belief system. Okay. Uh, however, uh, can I press you on 
the specific measures. And then if we could consider their monetary nature. Now, my impression is that um, the crisis was really brought on by the private sector, the private banking sector, withdrawing its confidence in the counterparty, which was Silicon Valley, and that a means of obtaining day-to-day liquidity would be, it would be common to those who, who went through collateralized debt obligations in the period 2002 to 2007, whereby you could put together a portfolio of loans in that, in, in that period, mortgages, which would be diversified um, across the nation, could be packaged, and you could offer that as collateral to other banks who would then um, say yes or no, um, but but extend you, um, I, I'm guessing, dollar treasury bill uh, um, in return for your collateral. Yeah? And then you would go on and that would finance your business. And, and, and the banks withdrew that support. They said no. And the principle intervention by the Federal Reserve was to step in with swap lines and effectively replace the money center banks of JP Morgan et al. in that, that functioning. But I don't see that as monetary creation. Now, am I missing something else? Was that that was one step, but then they, they had steps two, three, four? Could you, you know, could you elucidate? No, I think that's exactly right, Hugh, because if you can't go to if you can't go to the repo market, you can't go to JP Morgan because for whatever reasons, the 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 bank looks at your pool of mortgages, your pool of assets, and says, "Yeah, I'll swap them for you, but the haircut's going to be enormous. And if the haircut's too big, then you simply you don't have the you don't have the margin yourself to be able to do it. Then you're left with fewer options, including you know something like the Federal Reserve's uh, primary credit if you're a domestic institution." Or the FHLB advances, which they've been incredibly generous with over the last month and a half. Outside the U.S., there are a few avenues. There are dollar swaps, but we really didn't see any dollar swap usage over the last six weeks. There was a bump in FEMA, which the Fed considers as a repo product um, that got up to around $60 billion. So there was some usage in the foreign markets for this kind of thing. But by and large, you know, outside the United States, you've got banks who who were who were operating on some capacity, and then suddenly that capacity disappeared, and so you nor- quite naturally start to evaluate your options. And some of those options include, you know, using the Federal Reserve or using their local central bank. In the case of, of foreign banks, usually it's going to the local central bank and having them sell reserves or subsidize your dollar borrowing in some way or shape, some way, shape, or form. But either way, it's. It's you go to the central bank as sort of the alternative for what the private market isn't supplying on the terms that you need it to supply. And you're right, that's not money creation. That's sort of a temporary substitute or stopgap for what becomes an enormous hole. I think that's the overall point. So you have this this enormous funding hole in the euro dollar system, and these central banks come in and they try to fill it in as best they can. So they're not adding to you know what's already existing. They're trying to they're trying to add back to what's already been destroyed, uh, and so the idea is, you know, hey, if if we open up primary credit, we we, we remove the stigma, we'll let banks show up, and we won't publish their names for two years. Maybe they'll use primary credit. That'll at least get us back to even, even or close enough to even, so that banks start operating more on their own again. 
They can be reassured that nobody else is going to fail, that counterparty risk is minimized, that there is some minimal function of liquidity, and we can just get back to business as usual. In some sense, that's sort of the uh, that's the, the Walter Badgett doctrine, where we just we just want the money supply to be as stable as possible. And realizing money supply is a very loose term here, and so that's what the Fed is trying to do. It's not trying to do an additional QE here. It's not buying assets. It's really trying to stop gap, fill in a, a what was really an enormous worldwide liquidity hole. So yeah, in some respects, it it, it is. It's the Fed kind of like Atlas and trying to hold up the euro, the the euro dollar repo market. You know, it's a it's almost like a nationalization of the private euro dollar market. Have you seen, but specifically, you know, because you know Stan is is a legend, um, and someone is clearly making a computation that says, okay, we've had what eighteen months of QT, uh, where we're running at what one hundred twenty billion a month. I'm not I'm making these figures up. Um, has, what is the calculation? Are people just looking at the, the swap lines extended domestically, and then that adds up to the QT that, that that's been uh, undertaken so far? Yeah, and I don't. I really understand that calculation because you know why is it that there's something specific about, or why is it, what is so what is so important about a specific level of reserves that we need X level of reserves, otherwise the system will break down because the level of reserves that are that were in place in March before SVB. Before 2020 would have been by far the most ever in existence. So what is now so special about reserves post 2020 that wasn't so special about them before 2020? And we went through the same exercise in 2019. The last time the Fed did QT, everybody said, oh, they cut back too many reserves when at that particular point in time, there was more reserves in the system than there had ever been before. So why is it that four trillion we can function well, or at least it seems to function well, but at three trillion it causes all sorts of problems? When before we even got to two thousand eight, about ten billion in reserves was sufficient for everything to run on schedule and on time. And I think it's 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 diagnosing something. It's it's looking at the Fed's reserves and trying to um, it's trying to apply a meaning to them that doesn't exist in reality. You know, the level of reserves are useful only to a specific point. And once you get beyond that point, it doesn't matter how many reserves you have. It's what's another trillion reserves going to do that the first four didn't do before? You know, what is the difference between three trillion and four trillion? There's still three trillion more than there used to be. So I think what we're being asked to believe is that banks have changed their operations so that they're now ultra dependent on the Federal Reserve's level of reserves. And I just don't think that's the case at all. I think that's somebody trying to work backwards through the, what they see is in the Fed's balance sheet and saying, this must be meaningful because everything I think about the Fed is meaningful. When in actual operation, banks don't operate that way. The level of reserves is not the primary consideration in their behavior. Uh, September 2019 was a perfect example at the end of the Fed's QT, or, or right toward the end of the Fed's QT, we had that massive disruption in the repo market. And everybody said, oh, it was corporate tax payments. The TGA got to, uh, TGA started to swell because companies were paying taxes. That drained reserves. We had quantitative tightening. There was not enough reserves. But even Jay Powell said, yeah, I talked to all the banks. The, the level of reserves was not a material fact in the September uh, repo breakdown. But 
because we're taught to believe that everything is about the Fed and everything about the Fed these days is the level of bank reserves, if something goes wrong, then it must be that the level of bank reserves must be off or not, not in the right range or something. When, it, when you stop and think about it in any, any wider context, it just it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I, I mean, of course, the, the very powerful weapon that stock promoters um, have is the, the perceived, cor- well, the very evident correlation of the, the Fed's uh, balance sheet and its expansion and the progression in risk assets. You know, both have gone up over the last, when since 2009, the last 14 years. And so that's, that's what they point to. And again, we have to, you know, listeners have to be very careful between, you know, reaching your own um, assessment and judgment. But we have to be very cognizant that we have this very dangerous creature, this opponent, this very mean opponent called the market. And, you know, if it wants to behave in that manner, it will behave in that manner until facts kind of um, make, uh, make an impact. The, can we talk about 15th of March? Um, <laughs> of this year where we had um i think without precedent uh the 100 basis points uh widening in the in the three-month treasury bill um can you again flesh that out so that that is okay here's my impression being a listener to the eurodollar university um that there are um there are financial agents and and they have um They've borrowed money from. They've they've been at repo. They've been at you know the discount window. Um, they have provided collateral, um, and the typical collateral would be treasury bills, um, and every twenty four hours that is reassessed by um, the lender of uh, of the money, um, and twenty four hours later, of course, events are changing, and the, the counterparty says, you know what, I, f- I feel different about today and I need more. Uh, what do I need? You know, I need the, the riskless security. I don't need equities, by God, you know, I don't need la-di-da. I need the treasury bills. And so unless you can stump up more, I'm going, you're going to have to return what I gave you. And so you have no choice at that point, but you've got to go in and you've got to bid aggressively and there's a time frame to deliver. Is there more to it or can you expand upon that? Oh no! That's, I mean, in the there's a lot more to it. There's a ton more to it because it is so complicated. You have to think about there's so many different markets too. It's not just strict repo. There's tripartite repo. There's bilateral repo. There's derivative transactions. So you could be getting collateral calls from any number of directions. And there's also dealers who have also you know they've reused and rehypothecated. You think of every time that a treasury is reused and rehypothecated, it's actually hypothecated, which means the entire dealer community is effectively and synthetically short these these collateral issues. So whenever there's a collateral squeeze, it looks just like a stock squeeze because everybody is short the best quality instruments and there's no way to substitute different ones. As you said, Hugh, you can't make new ones because that's the Treasury Department's job. You can't substitute other ones because at that particular moment in time, nobody wants any other ones. So you're left just getting your hands on the best quality collateral that you can possibly get. And when these, you know, when I'm glad you mentioned March 15th, because there are these specific moments in time, including these seasonal calendar points where it just gets so everything is so constrained for various reasons that 
it really does. It looks like a, a, a one of the a, a, a traditional bank run, except we're not we're not uh, we're not running to the bank to convert our paper liabilities into physical cash. We're running into the treasury bill market to get collateral so that we can post it someplace in order to maintain our business relationship at whatever whatever particular funding option that happens to be, whether it's tri-party repo or whatever the case may be. Usually, I think it's more derivatives than anything else nowadays, but. That's what really happens. And the 15th was one of the most severe ones I've seen, uh, where the three-month Treasury bill rate just plummeted during the middle of the day, um, which, you know, a couple basis point move is already something to get your attention because Treasury bills don't, they're not stocks. They're not supposed to be moving around more than a couple basis points here or there. And so when you see it go down by 10 basis points, you're like, whoa, something bad's going on here. But 50, <laughs> something like that, 70, you that is everybody scrambling. And the fact that it that it happened on the 15th, you put all these things together. And again, it's not about bank reserves. The 15th is a seasonal low point in the euro dollar system. So already we're, we're looking, okay, there's a systemic issue here. And then it's this rush into four-week treasury bills and some of the other bills that got bid up too, eight-week in particular, but really attention on the four-week bill. So, I mean, this system is telling you that it's a euro dollar problem where we're having a deflationary interruption in the normal operation of the monetary system itself. And that's triggered among a bunch of other things, including the Federal Reserve doing its best or what it thinks is its best to try to perform the stopgap of you know, filling in the hole that kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Because as you're being asked to post more collateral, the last thing you could do is continue expanding your business. You've got to start focusing in exclusively on just getting through the day and hoping that you can survive to the next day. So you're not, you know, the, the entire system is no longer focused on expansion or even minimal operation. It's really cutting everything down to its bare bones minimum. Yeah, it's getting to the end of the day. Now, so um, thank you for that. Um, your your erudition, erudition is is complex. Okay. Can we have a go at perhaps um, trying to conceive normal business operations? And I don't know I, where, where should, where should we land upon? Who, who is the person that's going to go into the repo or these very, these different uh, machinations of the Euro dollar market? Should we elect upon a hedge fund, a bank? Where, where would you like to begin? What, what, what do you think is easiest to kind of convey normal day-to-day operations outside crisis who's looking for um who's uh looking for the credit that the euro dollar is willing to provide if you can post collateral it's everybody that's the thing sure. it's not but choose one, one. Choose, one rep- choose one representative yeah we can start with hedge funds we can go into okay. the dealer banks. Start with the hedge fund, right so i've got a billion i wish i've got a billion dollar hedge fund okay and what people don't appreciate is they think well billion that's a thousand million dollars and you'll be fully invested so every one of those dollars has kind of left the building you've bought stocks you've bought bonds you've bought currencies you bought uh, uh whatever else private equity etc but as we know um Everything is bought on fumes. Yeah. Everything is even equities. You know, I was in London. We'd buy, we'd buy stocks on a CFD contract, a contract for different spaces. So if I'm buying $10 million of stock with my prime broker, maybe I post only a million goes away and it goes to the broker. And of course, I, I daily adjust depending on my, my PL. So a billion dollar hedge fund may perhaps have uh, only a hundred million. At most, I would say, 
um, held away from it with its counterparty, and it'll probably have three, four, five prime brokers organizing its affairs. So, um, so uh, the hedge funds like, mm, you know what? I'm I've been listening to Jeff, and I I, I want to buy more. I want to go really long the the ultra long treasury, uh, where there's going to you know there's going to be a sharp slowdown in the economy, and so I want to buy. I'm a billion dollar hedge fund. I need to buy a billion dollars of of tilts of TLT, um, and so the, the conversation goes along something in the lines of, okay, I need a billion. I, so what what would you do? I've if I've got a hundred million presently, status quo is I've got a hundred million in my assets. I've posted away, um, and the rest is cash. So I've got nine hundred million in cash now with cash. I'm not a speculator. It's the bedrock of my business. I take no risk. So my cash would be invested in one-month bills, let's say, right? Um, but I'm like, mm, I'm fully extended. So I go to the counterparty and I say, hey, can I offer you $900 million? Can I pledge my cash to you? And if I do so, will they give me back um, $900 million in in T-bills or will there be a haircut that will give me six hundred? 400, any idea how that, that would work out? Like curtains descending upon the stage, the first exclusive event for Patreon Asset Capitalist members is shortly to begin. The first half an hour was a preview, was the intro. I'd be delighted if more of you would stay to the end uh, this this video could be yours for eternity um, I found the ending particularly um, it allowed me to answer a lot of mysteries and riddles in my head but I'm afraid um, you got you, you got a tip you, if you got a tip for the ex-hedge fund manager and yeah I know that I know what's on your your lips the tip is that's the tip I can't repeat, but come on, give me a break. Come on, become a member. Love you guys. <laughs> I'll love you more if you, if you put a tip.